Let us pray. Dear God, as the light shines in our sanctuary, we pray for the light of new understanding to shine in our hearts. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as we understand more fully this promise fulfilled, that we might enter into the joy of Elizabeth and Mary. We pray for that joy this morning. And that we might leave here today to go share it with those around us. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. In the opening chapters of Luke, it's like we're in a Broadway musical with folks breaking out again and again into joyful song. We saw this start two weeks ago with Zechariah, John the Baptist's father. It continued last Sunday with John the Baptist and Johnny Cash. And it happens again today with Elizabeth and Mary. Maybe the only difference with Broadway is that all the singing in Luke is directed toward and in praise of God. You see deep in their souls and in their bodies, Elizabeth and Mary, one wrinkled and graying, the other flush with youth, both expecting, deep in their bodies, they sense that God is about to move to do something brand new. A child is coming, Jesus, who is going to turn their cruel and unjust world upside down, or maybe right side up. And this sets these two women to singing, singing with great joy. You know, I still remember back when I was about 30, a long time ago it is, it's getting further every day, returning to the church after a long absence and starting to feel this strange sensation in my chest when I was singing hymns again in worship to God. Cynical, snarky Todd Friesen, prodigal son, was being surprised by joy. It was a new feeling. In the words of John Wesley, my heart was being strangely warmed. I was experiencing for the very first time in my life the joy of worshiping God, the joy of being liberated from the prison of my narrow, narrow self. Jailbreak. The joy of breaking out into the loving expansiveness of God, not myself. It's a joy for which God has lovingly made every single human being. And our dear Mary, barely just a teenager probably, 
is an early bloomer in this joy. It comes, you see, especially to those who make room in their lives, room in their bodies for God, and are joining and participating in what God is doing in the world. When you do that, there is joy. Amen? Amen. And in Mary's song, the great Magnificat, (laughs) did you notice who is at the front of all of these teenagers' sentences? God! God has looked on me with favor. God has done great things. God has shown strength. God has scattered the proud. God has brought down the powerful. God has filled up the hungry. God has kept a promise made long ago to Abraham and our ancestors. Seven times God is the subject of everything Mary says. Her song is all about and only about God. And today, I want to explore that very last line in Mary's song. How the birth of Jesus is the fulfillment of God's ancient promise. And how God invites each of us here today to participate in the keeping of that promise ourselves. So friends, what exactly is a promise? It's a word that we all know, but we have to quickly go Google in order to get an actual definition for it. Quite simply, a promise is the clear commitment to give or to be or to do something. Now, this got me thinking about a promise that was made to me 36 years ago. It took place while Danette and I were in China on Goshen College's study service trimester. It was, by the way, the place, the location where Danette and I first fell in love and our relationship began to blossom. Well, we were there back in 1982, right after the Cultural Revolution. And I somehow, being a history buff and a history major, got it in my mind that I wanted to take home with me one of the red stars that many people, well, not so many people, a few people were still wearing on their caps. Uh, But you couldn't buy them in the store anymore. And so I asked a, a friend of mine, Mr. Huang, if he could help me out, and he promised to help. But then one week passed, and another week passed, another and another, and it slowly began to dawn on me, I was a little slow, still am, uh, that probably for Mr. Huang, a Communist Party member, very likely, to give a red star, symbol of his party to me, an American Yankee, 
probably wasn't the very best thing for him to do. In fact, back in 1982, it might have even gotten him into some trouble. And so I gave up the idea. Well, fast forward to the night that we were leaving China. All of our Chinese friends and tearful students were gathered on the train station or in the train station on the platform, and it was a chaotic hubbub of hawkers and Chinese travelers, all of everybody all mixed together, jostling and bumping each other. And all of a sudden, Mr. Huang took my hand, grabbed my hand to say farewell, shook it, said goodbye. And as he let go, I found a wad of paper in my hand. And then... As our train chugged out of the station, I saw that it was a red star. And as we went into the night, I felt this amazing joy and delight at the unexpected and creative way that Mr. Huang had kept his promise. And maybe that's why 36 years later, this Mennonite pastor still has this Communist Party red star. (laughs) Our scriptures today and throughout the season of Advent are filled with references to a promise. An ancient promise that God has made and is about to keep with the children of Israel. Mennonite theologian Thomas Finger says that the whole story of the Bible is God's big promise. Capital B. Capital P. God's promise. Big promise is not to give you or me a Mercedes-Benz or a starter castle. Sorry about that. God's big promise is not to spare you and me the pain, the disease, the suffering of this beautiful and broken world. Instead, God's big promise is the kingdom that Jesus comes to usher in. God's saving, healing, reconciling reign of shalom here on earth, where we all may live in loving relationship with God, with each other, with ourselves, and with all of creation. And friends, as we'll be experiencing tomorrow night at our community meal and our Christmas Eve service, we're going to flow from one to the other, Hopefully. The kingdom is a realm where especially those who are vulnerable, the widow, the refugee, those without a family, may find welcome and shelter and love. The whole Old Testament 
can be seen as the story of God patiently, patiently sharing this big promise with the children of Israel and entering into a covenantal relationship with them. I will be your God. You shall be my people. And along the way, God hints for those who get it that this big promise is not just meant for tiny little Israel. It's meant for all the nations. Remember what God says to Abraham? In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It's a global vision. And by the time that Mary rushes to meet her relative Elizabeth in our reading today, their people have been waiting for six centuries for God's promise to be fulfilled. 600 years. And woven into Mary and Elizabeth's words today is the joyful astonishment that through them, of all people, God is about to keep this ancient promise. And for God, this means no more trying to guide people with commandments. No more trying to guide people through prophets. No more getting things lost in translation. Jesus, the promised one, he will now enflesh, embody, incarnate how much God loves us, who God really is, and who all God cares about. In Jesus, God takes on our human life so that we might finally participate in the life of God. Love to the loveless shown that we might lovely be. But heads up, folks. As Mary makes so clear, God's big promise is kept in ways that completely astonish just about everyone. Redemption rips through the surface of time, it's been said, in the cry of a tiny babe. Redemption rips through the surface of time in the cry of a tiny babe. And later on as an adult, just as Mary says, we see Jesus scattering the proud, don't we? Bringing down the mighty from their thrones. Sending the greedy away empty. Lifting up the lowly. And filling the hungry with good things. And for the sake of the joy that has been placed before him, Jesus turns our world upside down or right side up. 
He shows us that in the kingdom, kingdom of God, there are no strangers. There are no aliens. There are no permanent enemies. There are no others. As Greg Boyle told some of us two weeks ago so beautifully, Jesus shows us, he takes us to the margins, and we get to the margins, the margins, they disappear. Because we discover God's image already present in everyone we meet there. It's wonderful. And friends, one last thing. In spite of all the evidence to the contrary, and there's plenty of evidence to the contrary these days, the kingdom of God is the ultimate destiny of the cosmos. And each of us is invited to join God in keeping that promise. As it says in Revelation 11, and as we hear in the Messiah, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our Christ. So dear friends, let us end where we began, with joy. The joy of Elizabeth, the joy of John doing somersaults in his mother's womb, (laughs) the joy of Mary. For those who join what God is doing in our world, for those who make lives in their life for the life of God, There will be struggle in these hard, hard times. There will be pain. But above all, there will be joy. Amen? In Mary's song, we see a teenager, a teenager, rejoicing in the unexpected creativity and promise-keeping of our God, and so can we. Elizabeth's words to Mary, I believe, are also meant for all of us. Blessed are all of you who have trusted and believed that there would be a fulfillment of what has been promised to you by our Lord. Amen.